listening to the voice of Howard Stern. Hello, you rotten little mudsucker. This is Alice Cooper. Hey, this is Justin from NSYNC. This is Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, hey, baby. Hellers the king. Oh. Hi, this is Jack. Just back up from the border for a short visit. You know what I'm talking about, pal? Hi there and welcome to another edition of The Horse's Mouth. You're in The Horse's Mouth and my name is John Teague. Well, yesterday I had the good fortune of speaking with Morgan Rosader. Now, Morgan, I met at uh, having dinner with some friends the other week and I just, um, I was like, wow, like this person is really living life, you know, perceivably in the short time that we got to chat but it had an impact on me i was like you are really living life fully now morgan you know went straight out of school straight to university um you know learned a few lessons along the way and and since has had her career take her all over australia she works in the energy sector she's worked in asia she's traveled um and, and she's currently doing her master's in environmental and sustainability at Monash. She's nearly finished. She's submitted the thesis and she's got one, one subject left to do. Um, but what, what is really interesting in, in that is, is that she's really pushing to change, um, you know, the energy sector from the way that we've been burning fossil fuels and pushing it into new directions. And she works inside the belly of the beast. She works for BP. Now, when... Um, I learned that piece of information. I was sort of just like, yeah, good luck. You know, like as if you're going to be able to have an impact there. But as it turns out through this conversation, I learned that um, that BP has a new CEO called Bernard Looney, who is also really, really pushing to change um, how BP um, creates its energy. Um, and I know I say that, I say that like a layman, which I am in the energy sector. I don't know anything other than don't put uh, petrol in the diesel, you know? Um, but it's, uh, it's just great talking to someone like Morgan, who's so passionate about, uh, the world and, and climate change. And, you know, she's also an, an ambassador at the One Young World, which is an organization which helps, um, you know, push to get targets on track in line with the United Nations, uh, how, how they perceive that we should be. And I'm, I'm sure that, you know, like having leaders like Scott Morrison doesn't help but um, anyway, had a great time talking to Morgan. Um, just one other little, I don't know if you'd listened to the other podcast and I was banging on about the um, speeding issue. Well, I, I, dete- I, you know, I contested it and um, I still haven't heard anything. So I'm really, it's the government. It's definitely, it's coming down the pipe. They don't, they don't forget things. Um, so anyway, that's where we're at with that. I'm hiding under a rock and waiting for that that letter to arrive in the mail. Um, and the other thing that this is a little thing that's been... So my aunt said to me um, that there's this show on called The Phenomenon and on Channel 7. And I was like, oh, I've seen it. You know, like I, I, I don't know if you've listened. I, I did a podcast with Joy Clark, who was on the movie The Phenomenon by um, James Fox. A great movie about where we're at today with, um, you know, unidentified flying objects here on Earth. 
awesome doco if you haven't seen it check it out the phenomenon by james fox so anyway then i thought well i'll just check out what my aunt was talking about they're putting this on channel seven that's cool that's mainstream and um you know what they did the channel seven like i just i maybe i'm missing something but channel seven went out and recreated the same documentary but with an australian journalist as far as I can tell, they didn't give any credit. Like, that's plagiarism. They gave it the same name, the phenomenon, and they basically followed the same things that happened in the movie that Jamie Foxx made and made it look like that they'd unearthed all this themselves. Like, great. I love it. I love bringing this this conversation into the public space. Um, but really... Like, can't you come up with a different name? I just uh, that shit fucking drives me crazy. That you can take you take something and 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 make it your own, but you don't give credit to the person. Like, and you ripped it off. It's a rip off. I mean, I'm not gonna fuck around. Channel Seven fucking ripped it off. Anyway, I wrote that to Joy. Um, and nonetheless, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it because I just enjoy that kind of content. But nonetheless, I don't enjoy, uh, <laughs> like, fuck. Anyway, it's it's before lunchtime. I probably shouldn't be doing this before lunch. I'm never good before lunch. Um, it's not quite second cup of coffee time too. I haven't had my other coffee. That could be it. That could be it. Maybe I'll have another coffee and I should probably redo this. Anyway, if you're still listening, um, I hope you enjoy my chat with Morgan and uh, I'll see you on the other side. All right. Wow. Wait till you hear two hours of crap. A complete and total farfarama. For yeah, for so long, and you know, Mum would take me to do. She'd find you know different different troops that were doing different things and take me to them, and you know, pick me up from dance after school and and all that. So yeah, she was that. Yeah, she was really good at kind of keeping me in in that space. But I think it sort of changed maybe about. I don't know, coming into like year 12 when you're only VCE, you know, you've got to think about what you want to do and they put all the pressure on you to sort, sort your life out at 16. And now, what do you want to do, you young person? Yeah, <laughs> figure it out now. And if you don't decide right, it's all wrong. It's all downhill. And I think I just thought to myself, if I really wanted to be an actor in an extremely cutthroat industry, yeah. I'm not doing enough. Like I just kind of thought at 16, I was like, no, nah, I'm not invested enough, even though I've, I've, it's always what I've said I wanted to do. Um, I also remember I had, a, I used to play drums in high school and had a drum teacher. And I remember talking to him about it and he said, it's like, oh, you know, people that go into acting, they've got to be, have like a certain look, got to be like, I think he was sort I'm of I'm calling saying, bullshit on that because to, yeah. if you think about television, right, every single oh. person is on there, right? There's yeah. no minority really that's not mm. on it. There's all, it's just that you've got your... A type Hollywood yeah. sort of quintessential. Yeah. But there's a little long list of like, look at Steve Buscemi. I don't know who that is. Uh, oh. <laughs> he's a fucking freaky looking dude, but, but he's epic. But there are such diverse range of people. I was yeah. just talking about the TV show The Workaholics the other day. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's this. It's a really r- unique cast of people. But you know, there is such a diverse range of people. You need that. But 
I just remember this drum teacher just sort of saying like, oh, you know, neighbors, like, oh, everyone's a certain way. And, and I just kind of remember it, it translated to, you know, my like 15, 16 year old head is like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, you, yeah. you don't have the look. I, I guess I've got the, I've got the face for podcasts. So I, like, I don't know. I would argue against that. I would say that you would have that neighbor's look, especially at that time because they weren't yeah. as diverse as they are today. Yeah. But what I reckon his advice might've been, it has to be in you. Yeah. Like you, there can't be any like sidestepping kind yeah. of like, but you can go and fucking throw your hat in the ring for a while and work that out oh. pretty quick. Yeah. And, and I got into some plays not long ago and was back doing it and I fucking loved it when I was in Singapore and it was so good and, but, and I love it. But yeah, at the time it just sort of felt like I wasn't, wasn't in it enough and I thought it's such a cutthroat industry you know you've got to really be ready to spend your whole career not working and I just decided what else am I good at how to think and decided I want to go down the business path I didn't know what I just said I want to do business I'm going to move to Melbourne study business and then I want to go and live in Asia and do business but hold on. <laughs> you knew this at School? Yeah. You knew you wanted to go and live in Asia? Yeah. So when... Well, hold on. What was the catalyst to like Asia? Did you see a movie? No. Dad had taken us. So my dad has worked all my sort of childhood up till I was... Up till I left school, he worked at Quicksilver. And he was, I think, a sales export manager to the Asia Pacific. So he worked a lot with um, counterparts in Singapore, in Hong Kong, in um, Malaysia. And so when I was about... I don't know, 10. Um, we went on one of his trips. My son, I've got an elder sister, my mom and I, we joined dad on one of his trips in Singapore and KL, um, Kuala Lumpur. And I just thought it was just thought the cities were so cool. I think as well, we were treated really well because, you know, because we were there with him yeah. and I just always, he was always traveling for work and I just thought that was super exciting. And I'd meet heaps of his clients and I always thought that was super exciting and yeah, I think that's what attracted me to it and the, the Asia connection. I just sort of thought that life seemed really ex- enticing. And okay, yeah, sort of the, yeah I the, get it. Sort I of the it. expat vibe and the... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's sort of what set me on this. Like it was a vague sort of thing. I guess it was, it does seem quite specific, but I was like, I'm going to, yeah. business. business and I'm going I'm to go to Asia. Like I want yeah. to do international business. I think I've always been very attracted to understanding the world like you know big global perspective as opposed to like, having just like zero 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 no you haven't seen it yet no, no. anyway <laughs> it's about the global has a crack at doing the global drug trade oh as wow. opposed to just like the cartels you know oh, it goes into but it sort of loses its way a little bit it's got yeah. gabriel Byrne in it oh, okay. and that was a bit of a draw card anyway yeah you want to know about the global wanted to i had always had global perspective yeah so yeah. that's what drew me to quit quit the acting uh path and uh take the the business the business path yeah and did you go well at uni? did you take a year off or anything or straight no in? i didn't i worked really hard in high school at the end to get the grades i needed to get into the degree yeah. i wanted yeah. and I, I remember being as soon as i was like 18 moving to melbourne and i sort of spent the summer down down in torquay and then when uni was started i was like right moving to melbourne and i remember so clearly that that I can visualize it in my mind that car loaded saying goodbye to mum in Belray. I'm moving to Melbourne like fuck yeah world I'm coming and just thinking 
so being so excited to be leaving Torquay and been thinking I'm I'm never going to come back and yeah, live yeah. here. I never, you know, this is this yeah, is it. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm going off into the world. Look out, world. Look exactly. Yeah. And then get to uni and it's completely different to school. You know, it's a lot more. It's just a different style of learning and also. I'd not taken a year off so I just enjoyed living I lived in sort of a it's called RMIT village like a student village and you're in a little studio with one other person and you just it's, it's just you're just doing pub crawls every night just a lot and, of movies yeah it is it's just you're just drinking lots of goon and and just yeah it was just and it, but it was so fun but I first semester I failed a subject because Wh- I just which subject uh introduction to accounting okay so um because I'd also gone up there and I got two jobs because I've sort of always liked, you know, I was working at the Roxy store in Torquay. I got them to transfer me to the, to the Quicksilver store in Melbourne. So as soon as I was out there, I had a job. And then I met one of my best mates, Lizzie. She worked at a nightclub bartending. And so I was like, hey, get me a job bartending at a nightclub. Like this is, I remember thinking, <laughs> I have, look at me, I've got a retail job and I bartend in a nightclub. Like I am, yeah, I've um, got this. Yeah. Yeah. shit on tap um yeah. so i worked a lot yeah pretty much. so yeah. i worked a lot like i would work during the day all day close the quickie store go bartend all night clock off at 6 a.m and then open the store in the morning and then then wondered why i found the subject um but i think that kind of just sort of made me realize i need to <laughs> well actually you know i don't regret it it was all part of what it was um but it was a kick in the pants. It was a kick in the pants. And then I had to do intro to accounting again. And it was very, it wasn't that riveting a subject uh, to have to repeat. But anyway, I did it, did it again. I passed it. So yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was far from the end of the world. Um, but the degree I did was a four-year degree. And the third year, you have to, it's called a co-op placement. You have to work in the industry for a year. Yeah. So... You had to... So this is in international business? Yeah, the degree yeah. was international business. Yeah. So it was as, that, <laughs> yeah. as broad as I'd needed it. Because yeah. you kind of studied all these different things, studied like marketing and logistics and finance, and you sort of figure out what it is you're into. And I remember originally thinking like marketing because it was like the, kind of the cool draw card. And then I thought, no, it just doesn't seem like what I'm after. And logistics seemed really fascinating because it was again that global yeah. concept you know everything has to move from somewhere in the world and so decided to major in logistics and then when it came to co-op time or finding a co-op placement I'd applied for quite a few uh, co-ops and I got quite a lot of offers but I applied I went to some co-op fair and I met these people from BP and talked to them at their BP booth and their logistics role just sounded really exciting. Working for them, there was this lure of like a really big global company. And so I remember going, meeting them, writing a really slick cover letter, applying, and then getting an email back straight away. And I was super excited. And it was like, you have been automatically rejected. Oh. <laughs> and because I failed intro to accounting, my GPA was too low. And I didn't meet the minimum requirement to get a job. So I hadn't, like, they were never going to see my resume. It just automatically got bang. bang. So anyway, I redid the whole application. And in the bit that says, like, yeah. And then at the end, I wrote and said, hey, I've, FYI, I made that bit incorrect, but because of these reasons. And I sort of talked my way 
Now, was that an email interview. going to one of the people that you met at the trade fair or not? No? Yeah, well, in my cover letter, I put that I'd met. I guess yeah. it was like Rowan or something. I was going, oh, so great chatting to Rowan at the fair. And I think as well, it was a very, it's, it still is, but very male-dominated industry. So, you know, they'd met, a, you know, a female that was keen. Um, and, you know, hopefully I thought it showed, you know, enthusiasm and commitment to <laughs> problem solving. Um, so anyway, I got an interview in the end. So that worked. Uh-huh. Um and yeah, I got an interview and I remember kind of walking in and thinking like just the vibe. I love the vibe, the people. Um, and I'd actually at this time accepted an offer with another company and met with BP and said, look, I've accepted an offer with someone else, but I really want to work here. And then they made me an offer before sort of interviewing other people. They're like, okay, yep, yeah, let's do it. So, so then I worked for a year uh, so you should do that with your acting as well. You know? <laughs> You're always true, more actually. attractive when you don't need it. Exactly. That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, keep going. So, so they I work for a year. It's a, yeah. Here or there? Or in Melbourne. Yeah. In Melbourne. So, yes. So still in Melbourne. Um, and Wait, So were you down on the – what were you doing for them in that year? So I was a logistics analyst. So I worked in our sort of terminals and logistics space. Um, all – so if you, you know when you drive across the Westgate Bridge I and there's do, yeah. lots of big tanks, uh, the sort of uh, sort of fuel tanks, big round. Yeah, well, I for a while I used to work for oh, Toll yeah. Stevedoring, oh. and in that those boats, the green one that goes to yeah. Tassie, mm-hmm. I worked in that yard for a while. Okay, yeah, so you so, know it very well. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess our terminals. So working with our terminals business, so all over Australia we have the different terminals which store the fuel, um, and I worked with sort of optimizing our logistics our on-road trucking getting it from the terminals to service stations and to customers and um which i thought was really fascinating so you're still, fa- <laughs> still uh, now you've got your boots on the ground and you're still finding this uh even though you're dealing with trucks going trucks, around yeah. town it's still a sexy idea to be it was stu- <laughs> it's still still a sexy idea i think i i love the corporate vibe too you know getting suited and booted going to work i mean going from being like you know I'm, at this point i'm 20 when you go from being a uni student to corporate environment you know you got you've got lunches there's corporate drinks you know, it wasn't, you know, the wild times that used to exist, I think, in, in sort of those sorts of industries. But, you know, being 20, you kind of, it's, you know, you go out and then they'll they'll buy dinner and you think, wow, yeah, 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 you're yeah. really easily ex- excited at, yeah. at 20. Um, so I did that for a year. Oh, I'm still excited by someone buying me dinner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so no, I know, I, I loved it and I loved working for the, for, for BP actually and the people were all really great that I worked with and it, it made me want to keep working there but I regretted that I hadn't taken a gap year and I sort of felt that I'd missed that chunk of time you know where everyone went and traveled Europe or did did those yeah, sorts yeah, of things yeah. I kind of felt like I'd missed that a bit yeah so I decided I had one more year left of uni yeah. that I was going to do a semester in Paris because mm-hmm. um, so I studied French in high school and um, so I said to BP, you know, I will see my year was coming up to end. I'm going to go, you know, go over to Europe for seven or eight months. And just before I left, they said, okay, when you come back the year after, there's a place in our grad program for you. If you want it, I said, awesome, which because it meant I could go and not worry about a job when I came back. Um, so, yeah, applied. I've <laughs> actually applied to go on exchange with uni and I got rejected from that again because 
intro to accounting again my gpa wasn't high enough so that was another letter to talk my way into that one um and sort of talk about you know redemption and building and growth and things like that and then I said yes okay you can apply and go study abroad so yeah I went studied at a um, school in Paris called Yes Egg School of Management it was sort of just out of the main arrondissements of Paris and so hold on that was pretty exciting that was very exciting Um, getting on a plane to go to Paris yeah that was very cool yeah so I was very fortunate in high school that we were quite an international school. So I did an exchange when I was in high school to France in the South. Yeah, I went to, to, to study in this area in the South of France. And I went to high school there for like for like about two months. No way. Yeah. So Were you like a rock star? There. Yeah, when you were at school because you had that point of difference, you know, blonde from Australia. Well, I think they, yeah. Well, actually, I think my hair was brown then. Um, <laughs> but it's still, um, yeah, it was very cool. Um it was a lot at first because my French wasn't sort of up the level I needed to be and you get there and you think you're just going to school every day and you're thinking what is going on. But by the end of it, my French was fluent and I the, I sort of had I had these two, my two host sisters there that became my family and, and they later visit Australia. I visited them again. So they became... So when you went back to Paris to study, yeah. you went down and saw... I went down yeah. first. I went and stayed in Toulouse with my, my host sister, Yelena, and stayed with her for a little bit. And we had New Year's together and... Um, before I went back to Paris and started the semester. So I originally looked to see if there was a school near them, but it sort of suited best to go to Paris and, um, yeah, sort of get amongst that. But I lived I lived in the weirdest place when I was actually in Paris. I think I, it was sort of just out of Paris. And, yeah, it was this really sort of dodgy student living block. But I guess that's part of the in the there little studio. There are some super ghetto areas yeah, on the there, outer bit of Paris. There are. So, yeah, but that was good. That was, I think I'd, I'd, I'd gone because I wanted to get my French back at a level. But in the end, I just made heaps of friends with other international students and then English was our common language. So mm-hmm. we kind of ended up just speaking English a lot. And Did you go to the Jim Morrison grave? I didn't. What? No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I'm missing all your marks. <laughs> Um, okay, so you're there um, yeah. for one year. So, oh no, I was there for just for one semester. Oh, one semester. One semester, and then after I went traveling for a couple of months, sort of did the rounds. Um, what were your rounds? My rounds were well, first I did the, uh, the every trashy Australian does sell Croatia, yeah. and then I went to Bosnia and sort of traveled around there a bit, uh, Greece, and then sort of went up through um, Czech Republic uh, up to Poland. Um, Did you what's what's that bloody what's that island that everyone goes and parties at? A bitza or Santa, a oh, th- no, I uh, didn't do that. What did I, I did like Santorini and Eos and okay. those ones. Yeah, but that was. But yeah, I did most. Of, I did the first month. I was with a friend, Alyssa, that I'd made in Paris, and the second month was just sort of by myself, and which was really cool. It's good traveling by yourself. Do yeah, you like it? I, like I love it. it. Yeah. But I remember just like the first time probably ever I got on this bus. Where was I? Uh, actually, I think it was just after I just started being by myself and I got in a bus and I didn't get off at the stop I was supposed to. I was supposed to get off somewhere on the Croatian coast. And then I realized that we were going quite inland and I got up and said to this, I like pointed at my ticket to this woman 
And she just sort of looked at me <laughs> like, horror. And I was thinking, oh, yes, that's what I thought too. And then eventually this bus stops uh, at this little roadside, I guess like a rest stop or something, and sort of everyone gets off and goes, just wanders into this little cafe and we're like in the middle of nowhere. And I get up and kind of go to the driver and I point at my ticket and he's the face does the same thing and like he points back down the road and and then he goes and gets my bags off and puts them on the side of the road and he just keeps saying like five and I'm thinking like five minutes, five, like number five bus and it's just like... A, like five stops. Yeah. And, the, and so and then everyone gets back on the bus after eating their lunch, the bus goes on and I'm sitting on the side of the road somewhere in Croatia and just remember thinking... Right now, no one in the world that I know like knows where I am, which mm. is sort of that interesting feeling of mm. like, hmm. Um, did you have a phone? I did. Uh, uh, I did, but I didn't have. I think back then you did, like I didn't. You did, wouldn't get a SIM. You just yeah. use Wi-Fi at your hostel. Yeah, so right. I didn't actually have a you know anyway to contact anyone. Not that I knew who I'd call. But anyway, so I sat there for like no twenty five minutes. I remember this dog coming along. I, you know, patted the dog. A couple of buses went by. And nothing, no one stopped. And it, it, like, it wasn't a town. It was really in the middle of nowhere. Anyway, so then I decided to myself, okay, next bus that comes past, I'm just, I'm going to wave it down. Like, this is ridiculous. So the next bus that comes past and I just, I see it coming and I wave it down and they pull over and the, the door opens and this guy comes out and starts speaking to me and bulk and I'm not sure. And I say, sorry, like, wrong stop. I need to go into whatever the name of the town was. And he's like, oh, okay. And then... I see all the curtains pull back in the bus and there's like all these little kids looking at me and it's a school bus. And so I get on and they put me in the front seat and just a whole school bus of little kids is just like laughing at me. Um, some stranger that's been picked up on the side of the road. Anyway, they dumped me in town and then I found some Wi-Fi and figured out where I needed to be. But okay, that's, that's good. Yeah, one, no. of, one, of, one, <laughs> one of those one little of moments. The, one of the fun adventures, you know, <laughs> yeah. but um, yeah. Hmm. And, um, and so did that, like that, when you got to where you're going, it was all good? Like oh, there was yeah. no, there was no was, hiccups? It was, it was fine. I yeah. mean, they were, you know, I did, did, did things like that. I think things like that a few times, you know, when you're, uh, every it's day, easy you to know, do. and I had so many like buses that were two euros. And so, you know, you're trying to find where you, your bus that costs nothing is supposed to pick you up from and you need things get canceled and, you know, you end up all over the place, but it was part of the fun. So yeah no i love i love doing that and yeah no i love traveling by myself i've done it a bit it's it's i, I really enjoy it so then doubling back you've finished the travel and then do you come back to australia to finish yep. up mm-hmm. so i came back had one semester left of uni and one yeah and i reached out to bp and said hey i'm back do you have any work and they're <laughs> like yeah come do a few days a week while you finish your study so that was good so then uh went back so you didn't have to work at Quicksilver anymore? You, no, no just, I'd left yep. Quicksilver and, and Motel behind. Mm-hmm. Motel was a nightclub I used to work at. And, um, and yeah, I was able to just do a few days a week, which worked so well because I was able to nick all their stationery to help me finish. And, um, yeah, no, that was really good. And then when I finished uni, I was able to just go straight into full-time work and onto their grad program. So it was worked out quite well. So um, you went, did... You go straight to Asia? Did your dream fulfill straight away or what no, happened? No, it took a while for that one. Um, what did I do? Oh, I had a, f- a couple jobs. So I did a grad program. Um, so you, you'd work in a couple different parts of the business. I worked in what's sort of called strategic supply and infrastructure. I had a really small stint at 
part of our business called our retail business, which I wasn't keen to, but I was trying to get breadth. But I did get to go and present at a global retail convenience summit in Las Vegas uh, through that job, which was an interesting sort of experience. Uh, and then I ended up in WA as a sales in sales for our regional and transport business. For like, BP. Yeah, yeah, in the Pilbara and the Kimberley. Yeah. So I'd be wow. up in like Broome and Port Hedland and all those little mining towns. So I lived in Perth, but would travel up there a lot. Yeah. And yeah, um, yeah try and sell fuel <laughs> to regional transport customers, which I took the job because I wanted to experience that part of Australia. Yeah. And well, how good's the West? Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. You know, oh, that was beautiful. I didn't love sales and but getting to travel around was awesome. Yeah, yeah. But how the Singapore thing came up, how I did get to Asia, but just before I moved to Melbourne, started dating my now ex and he got a job in Singapore. Oh, great. And so sort of (laughs) he shmacked there. And um, so I moved to Singapore with him. And, you know, I think... With no job. With no job. Mm. So I, you know... That's a pretty big leap of faith for someone that was so directionally... Yeah. I, I think... I remember at the time thinking this is never... You know, I'd always been very like independent. I'm going to do this and I'm going to get this done. Yeah, and this then it, seems out of left field. Yeah, so it can't... It must it, have been really it, in love. It, it did feel <laughs> out of left field. But I also sort of had the realisation of, well, like if I'm going to get the same outcome of getting to be over there... Um, and, you know, get moved over there as well. Um, and obviously wanted to be with him, but, um, it was sort of like, oh, well, you know, we just were like, let's give it a crack. It was a very new relationship. Yeah, yeah. And that was our philosophy was let's give it a crack and yep. just see what happens. Yep. Worst case, it all goes to shoot and I move back or whatever. Yep. So went over there and I, I got BP to put me on like a leave without pay thing. So I was still on their books so I could still try and get a job. Anyway, uh, it took me six months to get a job because I needed to get a visa and that was just crap because I'd gone from being a very, you know, work-focused person. But that also made me realise that work isn't as sort of a priority as much as I think. So you enjoyed that six months or learned to? I learned to. It was very difficult in the beginning um, and... But I think it made me realize how much of my identity I'd put in my job. Yeah. And then I realized that that isn't actually a very nice thing and I didn't really like that. Um, but I really had wanted to get into shipping. And so before I'd moved to Singapore, actually, I'd started studying my professional qualifying exams with the Institute of Chartered Shipbrokers. They're sort of this set of exams for in the shipping industry that are kind of quite highly regarded. And that sort of was my the big sort of... I don't know, logistics, I'd, I'd sort of been working through logistics my whole career and for me shipping was like the really big kind of component of it. I think actually I wanted to get into that. I actually applied for the Navy and I got rejected because I'm celiac and so I can't eat gluten. <laughs> and I think that was one of the things that made me so really... So the Navy knocked you back on that, me back on the dietary on thing. On the dietary, which I'm very grateful for now, but at the time it was the first time I'd never been able to do something because I can't eat gluten. But what, what, Can I ask what happens if you do? Um, it just destroys my digestive system. Yeah, not just, feeling good. Just not good. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I think that had sort of 
part of the ship fascination. Anyway, started studying my shipping exams. And when I got to Singapore, that's where we have our big trading sort of BP has sort of trading hubs in, in Chicago, London and Singapore. And there's a lot of shipping that happens out of there. Obviously, Singapore's a massive port. So I was pretty set that I wanted to get a job in shipping. And because I didn't really have much experience and was going to a very competitive market, trying to get a job with BP was my best way because I already had a foot in the door. So I kind of just kept going in and heckling people and waiting for the job to show up. And one eventually showed up and I was able to, to get it and yeah I I get on the trading floor as a ship operator so I would work with our traders to move oil on big ships all around the world (laughs) so uh, sort of east of the Suez Canal and then once a vessel crossed the Pacific would hand it over to a different team so sort of a big space big part of the world <laughs> yeah huge and so would you go on the boats and... no it was all from our offices but yeah. i did get to go out and visit the vessels and import or import, at sea. import. Yeah. so when they come into singapore get a little launch out and i remember standing on a vessel and it was like 300 meters long and sticking my standing right on the edge and sticking my head over the edge yeah. and looking down and seeing the water lapping against the ship the ship looks as if it's a stationary object mm. in the water. It's just so big. Um, but I just thought it was so cool. I, I just, it's, you know, it's very, I think everything I've done with BP, it's always been lots of unique experiences mm. that I've loved. Oh, well, not everybody's got to stand on a super tanker. No, exactly. And they are ginormous. They are ginormous. And there's everything that goes with it, the crew yeah. and the quarters and yeah. the smells because they go all over the world and yeah. they have these weird smells and yeah. some rusted bits that you're like, how's this keep going? I know. You see, so you'd see some important thing. Oh, that needs a couple coats of paint. Um but yeah, like, you know, I went and had lunch with the captain or even, you know, in my job, I would be, you know, talking to the captains directly. And a lot of the team, I, my team that I worked with were ex seafarers and they had such interesting stories Yeah, and the, it just, the whole industry just kept, it was really interesting to me, I, you know, but it was also very de- demanding, you know, it's, it doesn't sleep, it's 24 hours, you know, very, very connected to phone and email and you know never you'd never sleep with your phone on silent you know and you'd get woken up at three in the morning and to what sort of just usually boring or um you know it might be a vessel's loading and you know they that the volumes loaded differently or someone's turning the ship around because they've sold the oil that's on the vessel and they want to send it in a different direction so you know you've got to call the captain and tell them to turn around do or drift or just yeah <laughs> yeah um you know like say hi could someone please wake the captain and then get the captain woken up and you'd have to explain to him what is to do, was so. piracy a thing ever a concern uh we would take armed guards so a lot of um all the oil companies would t- take armed guards when they're going through um like the Strait of Formos and... Um, What's the one north of Indonesia? Is that that that's one? That's Malacca Strait. Uh, Malacca Strait. So we wouldn't take guys where it's really, really busy. So that is typically okay. But it's more if you're off the coast of Africa or going up through from... Like you pick up guards in Gale and Sri Lanka and then take them up through until you get out into the Mediterranean. So through that through Guards um, the Red Sea yeah on board on board um, and you travel in con- a lot of the time we try and travel in convoy so we might wait for a couple of other vessels and we get the agents to organise it and then you go through as, as five ships through those straits 
um, just as sort of extra security. Because, um, you know, I've read articles of like people coming on board those ships and changing the appearance of them by dawn. Oh. Have you heard about this? No. So what they do is they get on and they everything that's a distinguishing marker mm. on it, they'll paint over, give it a new name, put some new flags on it. Yeah. And so then it's gone missing in the night and they're looking mm. for one vessel. But then when mm. they're looking, it's a different one with different flags mm. and a different name. And they're like, yeah, this is here, but it's not, you know what I mean? Yeah. So they just disguise it in plain daylight. Piracy is such a big thing that people just aren't aware of. Like the impact that it has or the... The, the people that get taken hostage a lot of the time if you know it might be that they're filipino crew and then the you know the vessels that are taken hostage that we often don't hear about it's because it's you know a crew that and and the, the nation that they're the people are from isn't considered they're not considered enough value that it comes of like sort of global attention um uh, I, I think you know, there's a lot of shipping companies that take a lot more risk and do would you know we would never BP would never take sort of more of those sorts of risks to put ourselves in those position. But you know, shipping there's a lot of, a lot of ship owners that are you know like it, 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 there's a limited window when ship owners make a lot of money, and then most of the time it's kind of tight trying to make trying to make it work. So I, you can see how shortcuts are made or things can happen that they can be exposed to more risk but so hold on a ship owner right someone owns a ship yeah is this like an individual let's just say an individual owns a ship yeah and you're saying that there's times when they make really good money yeah is that because they're really busy or there's certain cargo that has a certain amount of money that's attached to it in profit or it when they're not moving they're not making money and they're not always moving and they've got a wind tender or I don't know. So it's a, it's a bit of the first sort of component around the cargo, but also the timing. So when during like just a recent example with COVID, um, the price of oil went into, for some of the, the crude markers went negative for that the first great. time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that meant that refineries and terminals on land had nowhere to put the product that they were making the crude oil that they were finding and turning into product that they could go in your car. So they needed to put it somewhere. So they, it was cheaper for them to try and pay someone to take it than it was for them to turn their refinery off and stop refining and making more product. So demand for ships, they were calling it floating storage, was huge. Mm. So vessels were charging like eight times the amount they could normally charge. Mm-hmm. So there's these windows where the market's shifting in certain ways or certain things are happening and they can just make a shit ton of money. Um, so times like that, for example, there's just that you just you know people are paying whatever because they need the vessel. And yeah, that's yeah, it. I see. Yeah. So with that, great and uh, diesel was really cheap. That was mm. wonderful. <laughs> and uh, do you think we'll see prices like that again? <laughs> um, just from my own selfish standpoint. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't think like that again. I think the market, like, I think we'll start transitioning away from. Fossil. Yeah, yeah, yes, definitely. But um, I think that was just such a like a unique situation. A unique situation yeah. where the world stopped. I mean, the the biggest thing was was air travel. That was you know there was nowhere to put aviation fuel. That was massive. 
Um, I mean, even like the cruise vessels, they stopped and they had a huge amount of marine fuel that was just not getting, not being moved. So. But you'd have to say still comparatively to what it was, the air travel would be running on, what, 15, 20%? Or is it, do you think it's back to... Do you mean now? Yeah. Or um, is it back to 50? It's, it's, I think it's higher than that. It, 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 it's... Because it feels like to us we're not going anywhere. I mean, it feels like to us we're going absolutely nowhere, but it's definitely recovered more than I'd say like the 15, 20%. Yeah, okay. Um, but I bit disconnected from the yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> I have yeah. To ask him right yeah. There, so buddy. <laughs> you're talking about the Suez Canal yeah how do you say it you're saying Suez Canal Suez, Suez Canal yeah how do I say it Suez Suez yeah so but it looks like Suez Suez yeah the yeah. old Suez Canal <laughs> <laughs> east to Suez yeah. just go down the Suez Canal yeah. you should be right yeah. uh, okay the Suez Canal Suez Canal when you were uh, having ships go through yeah. there was it a concern that this could ever happen or no? No, I wasn't. No, we weren't ever really concerned too much. We More when you're around in like the Gulf of Aden near sort of like Kuwait and um, like Iraq and Iran, like when vessels were around near there in that area, that's where I think you'd be more concerned. No, I'm not talking about piracy oh. anymore. Sorry. Um I'm talking about, you know, that incident that oh, happened recently. Oh, you're concerned recently. about ram- ramming them to the side of the yeah, Suez Canal? Yes. Yeah. Oh, no, I actually didn't. No, I never thought of that. Because um, it's pretty tight when you saw I the mean, photos. I mean, when you see it, you think, yeah, totally. You think, how did no one ram up the side of that? Yeah. Um, no, I don't think I ever thought of that. Um, so also it wasn't because like a I was normally handballing off the vessels to our team in the UK. Um, but no, it wasn't a known concern. And from the mates that were seafarers, they sort of never raised it as a, as a known concern. That was something that they, um, yeah, that they'd sort of encountered. I think that was sort of a perfect storm event, but they were pushed down to push the limits of how big a vessel could get through. Yeah, yeah. And so when you're working in that sort of zone, mm. was there anything that like new information that you learned that just blew your brain that you couldn't conceive that was happening? Um, uh like, you know, I'd hear whispers of people being murdered at the sea and pushed off like the crew and stuff if they didn't get along with everyone else. Oh, oh I didn't hear that. Definitely, definitely, <laughs> definitely didn't hear that when having on BP ships. Um, <laughs> yeah, on a BP yeah. ship. No, I'm not joking. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's nothing. a firm no uh, for the record. <laughs> uh, Nah, uh, no, nothing that, nothing too saucy. I mean, I think there's, there's vessels that do sort of like, like, so it's a word like hazing when they cross the equator like that's a thing that happens the hazing first, well the first time when you cross the equator you know like that, that's a big deal apparently in shipping the first time uh, as a person that you sail across the equator that's like a thing um i mean i Jesus so that's right, sort okay. of a, that's yeah. a rite of passage apparently um but not and, and what yeah. do they do to these new new you know cherry popped equator crosses <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. He's just, just have a drink. Just, just, just yeah. drunken sailor. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> cause havoc. I'm not sure. So but, okay, yeah. yeah. So then, you what happened there? Did you stay? Did did you stay there the entire time? Did it all work out okay? Yeah. Well, yeah. I loved it until I didn't. So I kind of lo- like I loved working as a ship operator i love being i thought it was all exciting it was sort of all my sort of things come true oh and i did i got actually what i did do there was i got into um some plays i saw an ad for a cabaret the musical and they were looking for dancers 
and I went and auditioned and was a dancer. I was a Kit Kat girl dancer in a, in like this, uh, a local, was yeah, it a local production um, or was it, was it, for, a, is it um, what, a, uh, what do you call it? It was a, what's the word? Like community theater. Was it for expats or yeah, locals? It was, it was a, a mix. So okay. it wasn't sort of restricted, but yep. it was right. The, but, um, there were a lot of expats in it, but that I remember doing that and being, Actually, I remember before I'd gone to the first rehearsals and just gone to the auditions and I was thinking, I actually don't know what level we're talking at here. Like this could be like, you know, <laughs> really backyard or it could be quite good. And I remember going to the first rehearsal and the the, um, the girl, Heather, that was playing Sally had the most amazing voice. And I was like, okay, good. That this is this will be this will be half decent. And I loved it. And I just remember loving being back on stage and it was so good. And that was one or two plays. I did this. I did another play as well that was called cash on delivery and i got the lead role in that and it was sort of like uh, what's the show with um it's, it's not slapstick it's fast like faulty towers spec yeah and it was one continuous act and the whole play and it and it was so funny to do and the audience seemed to love it and it was just great and i remember the it was one act it was one whole act yeah. so there was we actually would have two well it was one whole scene i should say there were two acts but the whole thing was continually running and we had this big set it was like a big open set and you there were sort of like four doors so people were coming in all over all over the place um and how fun it was it was just so fun and i remember thinking oh like i i'm living in singapore doing business yeah yeah and i'm leading this play like yeah yeah it's crazy like you know this is this is I've, I've, you know, oh, I've done, I've done the things yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to do, but I, I started just sort of feeling that what I was doing, I don't know. It just sort of all didn't feel like, you know, how can you get everything you want and it's not all you'd hope to. Right. Um, and I'd gone with BP. I went to a, a summit in the Hague in the Netherlands called One Young World, and it's for people like eighteen to thirty and people from every country in the world get together and discuss the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and look at what people are doing and look at from corporations to individuals. And when I went to that, I really realised that I didn't want to be on the path I was on anymore and sort of working the that life of just sort of working for money like i think i i think i'd always envisaged envisaged that i would you know work to the top of a company like bp and i'd travel the world and i'd live all over the world and i'd have this life you know that way good frequent flyers oh yeah yeah, and like things like that were super exciting to me like you know i remember when i got to platinum when i was in and i just thought like oh like check me out and then especially when i was in wa you'd go to fly up to like broom and because it's just full of fifo workers everyone is that same level so they're like oh platinum people come and like it's the entire flight you're not no one's special yeah anyway but the, all that was so enticing to me and then i sort of was living that life and just sort of thought i just i could do all that and then in the end i'm still just i'm just gonna die you know that's the end of the game, <laughs> right yeah and what will i you know and then what like you know what have i left behind or what have i done to add value to the world or yeah you got some good freaking flies yeah, over there. exactly <laughs> so i kind of was just like 
Oh, and actually, I read this quote in a book. I remember. I can remember. I was flying back one time from visiting friends in Melbourne, back to Singapore, and it was this woman, Natalie Isaac. She's got this group called like One Million Women, and it's about sort of empowering women to reduce their sort of environmental impact and the impact women have because you know their their role in in in, in the homes and the power to sort of make change anyway and, and one of the women in in the book was quoted saying that she loved that her um her purpose aligned with her strengths and i remember thinking i love the sound of that but mm. in i didn't feel like i was using my strengths mm-hmm. for to like fulfill a purpose i was just using my strength to move lots of oil around the world mm-hmm. and um and do the old musical. And do the old, and do the old musical to, you know, <laughs> fulfill my, you know, yeah. soul. But I wanted to do something that sort of fed my soul a bit more. And yeah. I didn't know what it was. But after coming back from that summit in Netherlands, I just remember feeling like I wanted to implode my entire life and just, just change it all. Blow it up. Blow it up pretty yeah. much. And... Um, so the first thing that went was the relationship. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> so you just come back and uh, what happened over there? <laughs> it oh, was great. <laughs> um, bad news. Um, and then I stayed in Singapore for a bit and was, you know, it took me a while to decide to be comfortable, I think, with the decision to leave Singapore because, you know, like that feeling of when you worked really hard for something and then to not want it anymore is really difficult. Yeah, yeah. Because... You, I kind of well, you hang your hand on it for so long. Oh, totally. Mm. And the concept of going back to Melbourne. Actually, I remember talking to a therapist, my therapist in Singapore, about it, and she's like, "It's not going back to Melbourne. It's going forward to Melbourne." And I was like, "Oh, oh I love that." Wow, because, fuck yeah, yeah. Because I was so it feels like a backward step. Exactly. I was mm. so hung up on I'm going to go back, and everyone's going to think I failed, and all of that. And then yeah. I just thought, well, the people that actually care and matter will be stoked that I'm back because yeah. they just want me then you know and the people that if they have an opinion on it well they probably don't have much value to me anyway so I decided yeah I wanted to study I wanted to change direction do something more in like environmental perspective fed my passion I haven't really touched on that as being a thing that I was into but yeah that's what I wanted to come back <laughs> to Melbourne to do I was just wanted something I wanted to, yeah, I didn't know what it was. I mean, I still don't know what I, what it is, but um, I knew that I wanted to come back to Melbourne so I could s- study more in... Well, this is yeah. your intuition talking now. So, yeah. like, I suppose as you get older, you start to, start to learn to trust these, mm. like, uh, recurring thoughts. Mm. And so, yeah, I'd say that, that you were meant to. Mm. Um, so yeah, let's touch on the environmental aspect because mm. you hadn't really said much mm. about it. You've said you're slinging oil all over yeah, the joint. Yeah, I know. And, uh, <laughs> but, whoa. I know. <laughs> the story gets better, I promise. Um, so yeah, I came back to Melbourne and I was able to get a job. Applied Actually, that, that was sort of like, I guess, the catalyst to come back was I applied for a job with BP was in terminals and strategic infrastructure and I was sort of like look this is a job in strategy I'm going to be able to make this trans- these are transferable skills come back do this job and you know then I'm back in Melbourne and then so you're good at selling yourself yeah <laughs> <laughs> give me what I want we'll yeah, all be happy hello, I'd yeah. like to come back now <laughs> um yeah and then uh, came back and 
was like, all right, what am I, what am I going to do? And I found this master's program with Monash. It's called Master of Environment Sustainability and decided to apply for it. And it started like the week later and applied and got in. Um, and that was only a few weeks after I got back to Melbourne, um, moved, moved into a place in Carlton North. So I happened to be with two guys that I actually went to primary school with. So I sort of started closing this loop back around. Um, and I remember the first day going into the masters and I would go on a Monday morning. So I'd like struck a deal with my boss. I was like, look, I'm going to do this masters. I'll work late on Mondays. And I went in and the first day of this course, I was like, yeah, this is exactly where I need to be. And I just remember feeling like this awesome what a good feeling it was so it was just just great and it was such a such a diverse group of people from heaps of different back you know all these different science backgrounds like you know this woman's like did permaculture and i'd be like what what i don't even know what that is and then you know it's just just it's just so diverse and i also felt like i had something to contribute and my perspective was also an interesting one to bring to the conversation which in the beginning a lot of people were always and they still are in my course when I talk about working at BP they're always quite confused or they're kind of surprised I would say well I was yeah (laughs) (laughs) um yeah, all singing, all dancing, oil slinger. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah but I, you know, hmm. yeah, no, it is. So you got your master's in that aspect of what you already knew. Is that right? Yes, yeah, so I'm still doing it. So I'm still doing it. So that was, I started at mid-2019 and I just submitted my thesis on Sunday but I've got one subject left until I'm finished. What is that? Like basics? Okay. Intro to accounting. <laughs> it will be the death of me. <laughs> no, this subject is um, carbon. It, it's about how you map out carbon emissions of a, of a, of a company and look at um, how you can sort of offset them or look at how much the, the value of, of, the carbon that you know, the companies. So is that, that's a measurable thing now. Every company can now measure their carbon footprint by what they, what how they move, mm. transport, um, things they've got to burn, etc., to create different things. This yeah. is it's all measurable. It it is, but you've got to do got to do the got to got to do the process. So that's something I'm looking to do now for the part of the business I work in. So I'm in our marine business now as a low carbon advisor, and I'm looking at how we can go from start to finish of our. For BP? For BP. Still BP. I still work at BP. Yeah. Yep. So you're do in a marine... S- marine. Yeah. So I've really gone all around the business. So at the end of last year, we had a really big restructure. And because in February last year, we had a change of CEO. Now the CEO is named Bernard Looney. He's a global BP CEO. Global BP. Right. And he's actually... He's, He's, I, I really like him. Um, You've and, met the global CEO. Oh no, I have. I mean, I like him from uh, a, yeah, okay. a. Actually, I'd met the I'd met the last CEO though. Yeah, I'd had dinner with him in the Hague. Um, but he, I, I like this CEO much better. Okay. Um, uh, it's a big dinner though. That's a big dinner. Yeah, I know. I was yeah. sort of like, what do you, what do you say? Yeah. Um, actually, I think the question that we played a ga- we played a game around the table of what did you want to be when you grow up, and the actor thing came up, which is. 
Anyway. And what did he want to be? The CEO? Um, CEO? I think he wanted to be, he wanted to join the military, I think, because it was a family thing. Uh Anyway, anyway, Bernard Looney came in and he's this guy, he's worked at BP his whole life and as well. And um, he said, we've got to completely change what we're doing as BP. He felt, you know, was very open saying he's uncomfortable with the way the company operates, knowing what we know about climate change and... Um, we can't keep operating the way we do and the world needs companies like BP to change and the wow. world has to change. And he announced... And uh, it's not just a front? No. So when he first announced it in Feb, I had a bit of reservation, mainly because we announced a net zero 2050 ambition and sort of 10 aims around that, what we're going to do to help achieve that how we're going to become a net zero company. Um, But it wasn't until August later in the year that we kind of came out with some firm ways that we're going to do that. So, you know, we're going to, I think there's like a 20 fold increase in um, our renewable energy footprint or the gigawatt power that we've got. It's going to be a $5 billion year on year um, investment into renewable energies. We're going to, cut our carbon intensity of our products by 40 percent by 2030 so can i just ask this from a layman's perspective because mm. that's really all i've got um <laughs> at the moment i think of bp and i think of petrol diesel yeah they go into mm-hmm. cars trucks planes yeah boats <laughs> ships <laughs> ships big big boats big and uh and so they're all what do you call um a uh, combustible engine yeah. what do you call it is that what you call it yeah. an internal combustible internal engine internal combustion yeah. yeah and so therefore you're by 2050 let's say you want to phase out all internal combustion engines no so what- so because that's what it sounds like when you say all these other things and I go well fuck me like that's this is an overhaul of the world so I think overhaul of the world is a good way to put it we're saying that bp is changing from being an international oil company to an integrated energy company because the world needs energy and for 112 years bp has provided energy Mm. but that energy source is obviously extremely detrimental to the environment Mm. um you know predominantly fossil fuels um you know we have had solar for the last you know couple of decades but they haven't really been successful um but where that transition to the integrated energy company is it saying the world needs to overhaul its energy system and we're going to overhaul our energy system and you know we have one of the it's called light source bp is one of the largest solar companies in the world we're investing in some of the largest offshore wind facilities um, in europe and the states there's sort of it's all going on um in australia there's a a big um with arena which is the australian renewable energy agency we're doing a study in wa to look how we can create green hydrogen to export it and export it as ammonia as as a fuel source because so like electricity or electrifying things is great like cars but for longer range transport it's not it's found not to be as effective so things like ships or long-haul road things like hydrogen or ammonia that's going to be looking like the feasible solutions but at the moment 
we don't have like the technologies all exist for so many for everything we need we don't need more technologies we need like people that are going to invest in them invest in them now and and, and get it moving to help bring the cost down. Is it true that there was a guy that got murdered and all his plans were scrapped that could make a car wa- work on water, hydrogen or uh, well, well, water? Well, I don't know about Do that the- guy specifically, but I mean, there, we yeah, the technology exists to, to run cars off hydrogen, which is if if you use like green hydrogen, so that's take that's using renewable energy sources, so using like solar or wind for electrolysis to turn the water into hydrogen so then you would essentially have nothing but water come out but i don't know about the guy that no it was in this soccer i can't remember off the top of my head right now but um i'll have to i'll Mm. write it down right now doco a guy murdered for water i'll I'll tell you later (laughs) (laughs) um but it was it's a frightening thing because it looks at all these other um energy sources Mm. that have been shut down Mm. along over the years Mm. by people with Mm. big money who see in their best interest to have no other power source you know like nicholas tesla was onto this for Mm. a while ago right with like free um Mm. is he trying to do free electricity or uh tesla with the dude with the lightning rod yeah. Anyway, he's part of that same doc, actually. Um, I've lost my train of thought. I think that, look, there's decades of lobbying and yeah, yeah, yeah. by, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, yeah. by companies like BP, by BP, I've no, you know, all of that that's gone on within, you know, to governments and to, uh, to, to slow progress. Like, I'm no doubt of all these things having happened. You know, the position BP's in now and that we're going you know that we're acknowledging is that we have to change the way we supply energy and the way the world uses energy and the way energy is delivered one more yeah. um so tell me if I'm, tell me is my thinking wrong like so i've got a six cylinder diesel mm. and i i i like it yeah um and but people you know drive electronic cars mm. now great they look quick <laughs> and look quick. Um, but like if you look at like keeping an old car mm. and keeping it maintained obviously mm. so it's not blowing heaps of shit mm. into the atmosphere and then what it takes to build an electronic car uh, the resources that it takes to build the battery and everything and then to go and plug that car in and mm. still at the moment being charged off coal right in Victoria, yes. So not all of it would be completely off renewable energy. So that is a factor in places like Victoria, for sure. So like then the carbon footprint looking at like, uh, you know, what it takes to make one of mm. these cars. And you know, do, you, do you see where I'm going with this? hundred yeah. percent. I think this is such a big thing with sustainability. Like sustainability is a big holistic concept is people can want to go buy something new or people want to solve something um, like, oh, well, yeah, get rid of your diesel car and, and buy an electric vehicle. Well, yeah, you've got to consider what those impacts are um, of, you know, your car just becoming scrap and you buying something new as opposed to maybe using something until it's it's the end of its life and being more considerate about how often you're using your car and can you use your car less. Um I think that's yeah with with everything when it comes to sustainability. And so yeah. then um, uh, another question. Yeah. And so I've been told it doesn't matter how much you ride a push bike, um, drive a <laughs> happy car, um, you know, turn all your lights off yeah. and 
have solar heating or whatever fuck i don't know mm. but uh and then you take one airplane trip and oh, it doesn't even matter yeah, how many keep cups you absolutely use absolutely is and so you've got so all these bad. people that fly around the world yeah. claiming they're clean but yeah. really you get on a plane and you just yeah your argument's fucked it is it is definitely air travel is like the biggest one of the biggest impacts like the biggest impacts most people would have um and i think that's the heart yeah it's a hard one it's, it's 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 hard and we've been exposed to all these things like you know i'm fortunate i've traveled to lots of places in the world so now i've moved back and i've wanted to like in part of my environmental journey or what i'm on and what i've been doing i really want to focus on australia especially a lot of what i've been studying and looking at our government and that's just a shit show and i you know i want to live down here i want to protect this coast it's such a beautiful part of the world i'm so fortunate to have grown up down here but people haven't seen the world still people still want to travel people still want to do these things Mm. and it's really hard to take things away from people now they have them and now they've experienced them um i think we are addicted to travel now we're addicted to convenience as a whole we're addicted to travel definitely but i like what i sort of always bang on about to me it's this like convenience of having things when we want them i mean you're cold you turn your heater on you want to watch netflix you turn that on you want to you don't want to cook you get takeaway and it's in plastic you know you want to get a coffee and you know like when they stopped using keep cups and then you know like people just want things yeah and we just i think need more like that's there's you know slower life is becoming a bit more of a trend it's coming back up and people are questioning things like that and hope COVID in some ways has made people question some of the ways that they were living their life. But yeah, like there's not, there is not a silver bullet to solve or to put back in the box. Put the what, genie back in the bottle. Put the genie back in the bottle from, you know, what's happened from the industrial revolution to where we are now. And the world has the ability to do, um, you know, and you've also got to look at the people that, you know, there's just under a billion people who don't have access to electricity or like, you know, half of that with like access to, you know, safe fuel for cooking. Um, you know, they're having to live with the consequences of what we've prospered in. Um, and, you know, then do we deny them access to fossil fuel energy sources if that's the cheapest that they can get to allow them to develop and so like well okay okay i'm gonna jump in again so um so yeah we have all that that Mm. this is a disparity 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 in um but i i've I've, i made a little note here that it feels like at every blind you turn your eye one second mm. and the government is trying to fuck us mm. one way or another and whether it's fight, fight for the bite mm. or now I don't know if you've seen on social media since you've come out of your black hole mm. from doing your thesis <laughs> but this they've just they want to mine out here off the 12 apostles 5k's I out I did on. see that that's and so mm. it feels like you know we can have these chats and mm. we can use cups and do little things but it feels like big business not saying bp Mm. because obviously there's a shift there but Mm. it feels like the government and big business want to fuck our environment at every Mm. turn and Mm -hmm. it's hard to if if we people don't care like Mm. there's a lot of great we have a lot of great Mm. activists people who bring these situations Mm. to light and do a lot of hard work but it feels like if they weren't part of our society they would run this fucking earth into the ground Mm. for a dollar Mm -hmm. Uh, am i wrong 
Oh, I, I, yeah, I agree with that. I think we are, there's a lot of being fucked. Um, I, you know, I think, or what I, I hope that I can hope to do, like, by working at BP and keep pushing at BP and things like that existing is changes from, like, we need changes. Obviously, we need change in government happening. BP is a big influential company that now has a net zero 2050 target and we work closely with the government and the current structure that the government has to reduce emissions we won't be net zero Australia as a nation until 2167 and I hope that comp- you know we, we need corporations to work with government we need you know activists we need everyone working together like we've got to try and do everything we can there's like there's fires everywhere we need to all be doing what we can you know as you're sort of saying then you know we put out one fire in the bite and then they're saying oh now look what's off the 12 apostles like it's it's insanity and i feel for people that are like it's it's exhausting you know Mm. and well, they want us to do the right thing, pay our taxes and mm. play the game and blah, 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 blah. And then at every fucking moment, it's just like there's environmental. Yeah. It, I find it very disheartening. When I was so writing my thesis, I looked a lot at the government and what... Sorry, one oh, more yeah. thing. Yeah. And population. And it's yeah. like keep ramping up population. Well, population needs resources, mm. right? We Shouldn't it be like... I know this is sounding communist and I'm not mm. fucking communist, mm. but like shouldn't we be trying to plateau off how many people we are, are on Earth so but we can sustain? But how people use the resources. Like but, Australia. So Australia, what are we, 25 and a... 20 just under 26 million people the world 7.6 billion people australia this was in 2019 was 1.3 percent of global emissions so we're like 0.003 something percent of the total population of the world and we're contributing 1.3 percent of emissions so the you know how we're punching above our weight we definitely are and you know we're obviously a developed developed nation you know most people don't live in poverty um and so we we use a lot of resources here um and then we also have prospered with cheap coal and cheap gas which has allowed us to cause extensive amount of damage to the environment as we have prospered this quote by tim flannery i used in my in my thesis and i'm going to try and remember it because i really liked it yeah it said um, australia is a climate paradox for we're rich in fossil fuels but extremely vulnerable to to the climate you know ex- extremely vulnerable to the changing climate we've purchased our prosperity at a terrible cost and to me it's it, it's him saying well y- yes we have prospered because of the abundant fossil fuels that we had here but we're extremely vulnerable and now we are going to pay the ultimate price for that we we saw you know climate change isn't 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 coming it's it's happening now and we saw that with the black summer bushfires well did you see the article in the bbc this week about the scientists in the, the north pole or did they send them to the there's a big it was a huge team of global mm. scientists went to the north pole or antarctica one of the poles, one of the poles. <laughs> and this 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 huge glacier they've been yeah. watching for ages and ages it's 
accelerating beyond belief. Mm. Like they thought it was going to go, they knew it was speeding up yeah. on its thaw out, but they've come back going, it's, it's beyond fucked. And then there's all this that they don't know. Like, so, so the more ice that melts, the less sun that bounces back off into the atmosphere. So the oceans are getting warmer. So that's continuing to speed up the process. And then the ice and the permafrost is releasing diseases and methane and all of these things that we didn't know. Um, I remember talking to my supervisor about like COVID and him talking about the diseases that might exist Mm. in all of this permafrost that we don't know Mm. and it's insane to think about what we could what we could just be thawing out Mm. that's going to be released into our atmosphere and into our environments so the truth to this so um fossil fuels are like crude oil is stored underneath the ground Mm. in big swimming pools it's fossils it's fossils it's, it's it's blood and bone and well, it's, it's dinosaurs mm, right yep okay so it's all ha- hanging out down there mm. and then we go in send drills down we yep. and then we pull it up and drive around on it yep. and um but that's actually helping keeping the earth temperature down they they're acting as like insulators these pockets of fossil fuel and you take them out and the earth can't keep us cool have you heard that theory before i haven't actually heard about that um no, I haven't heard about that. My geology is not too, too crash hot. Um, but I mean, I think anything that we're doing excessively, you know, to the environment that's, you know, especially things like fracking, you know, you're like ramming things into the earth and shoving water in, extracting gases and all of this, you know, you're, you're dramatically shifting the like, equilibrium of the, the, the planet. Um, I think there's a, so yeah, it's 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 um, yeah. hard to get up in the morning sometimes. <laughs> oh, it's it is hard to get up in the morning sometimes, and I think like I I was reading the other week an article about these girls in I think I feel like they were somewhere in Queensland, and they just in a court case. I don't think they won in the court case or they got it documented the cost that it's going to have for each young person climate change is going to have if this mine was given approval a coal mine in Queensland was given approval to keep to, to operate more open another component of it or something and the the line was like you know these young girls fought against the environment minister to block the coal, like the expansion of this coal mine. And I remember getting up from my desk and going to talk to Jess, my housemate, and I was like, this article, like, this is ridiculous. Like, these young kids are fighting the environmental minister to stop the expansion of a coal mine. And it's 2021, and you read that, that sentence and you just think, like, what, what the actual fuck? Like, how can someone say they're an environmental minister? And they're like, sorry, children. Yes, it will be much more expensive and you will have a, you know, it will all be terrible in the future. But, you know, yeah, I'm going to expand this coal mine. Um, and how, like, how does the environmental minister get up in the morning? And I don't know. I, I, one of the reasons I started studying my master's was because for me, I was so infuriated by politics and by politicians that are there. And I thought maybe that's something I'd, I'd get into down the line. And I wanted to have a more credible base of understanding of environmental science and environmental policy and just policy making in general, because it just, it's so infuriating seeing some of what comes out of 
the Australian government. Like it is just like, and I think what's the problem is so well, many it's a, young the government's the world round, but it's it's but, unfortunate oh. that we are uh, supposed with this progressive nation, and we're fucking not. But we are now just like we are a laughing like China has. Uh, you know, is far more progressive in the environment than us. India, everyone, everyone, countries that have been for, well, for it, a long it, time looked at as being having extremely negative impacts on the world. Australia's left standing now. I went to... Sorry, yeah. but is it because that's the only chip we have to play? Like mining, really? That's our big well, export? Yeah, well, yes, it is our big export. And... Um, so rather, you know, I, I'd happily go back to a simpler life. I'm not mm. sure how the mining dollars are affecting me. Mm. Maybe maybe at the Bowser, mm. but um, I, I, I would say there's so... Well, I mean, it's just obvious, right? There's mm. so many pockets being lined mm. and if we've only got one thing to trade with the rest mm. of the world that's the big one. Mm. That's why it's the dying and slow death. I, I think it's just... it's They've just sort of stuck on this course and they're trying to... The fucking baby boomers. The, Who are we talking about? The baby the boomers? Horse or <laughs> whatever it is. But they're just, you know, it's so embarrassing. Honestly, Australia's position is on the world stage is embarrassing. And we... Yeah. There were, if we were to come out of COVID with a green-led recovery, so looking at how we can transition to renewables instead of the gas-led recovery, which is what... Um, Scott Morrison and Angus Taylor are saying in this technology, not taxes. You know, they don't want to put a tax on carbon. Like BP's for putting a tax on carbon. We think that is an efficient and effective way to help people, to help companies emit less and enact change. I, and I, I think, yeah, we need to be taxing carbon. Angus Taylor is saying no, as the emissions and whatever, whatever he is, is useless. Um, but he's saying no technology not taxes you know we're going to use these expensive technologies like carbon capture and storage and 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 hydrogen which yes hydrogen we know will work but no one's you know we don't have it operational we don't have ships and trucks and cars running on hydrogen like these are all great ideas but there's going to be a long way to get there but if we used had this green-led recovery and transition to renewables there would be three times the amount of jobs as with the gas-led recovery but it's as you're sort of t- saying and like you know i don't know the deep details of the the pockets line but yeah it is extensive and we just sort of trying to shake out everything we can but the where we are behind everyone else in the world and like i went to um the cop 25 summit which was the united nations framework convention on climate change summit which was in madrid when uh at the end of 2019 mm. um which is the ironic as uh, world leaders and uh, thinkers from all over the world fly <laughs> somewhere to talk about climate change. Yeah. And I actually flew. Was Greta there? She was. Was she? She was there. But, oh, so it was supposed to be in uh, Santiago in Chile. And um, a couple of weeks before they moved it because of civil unrest. A couple to, of to weeks. Madrid, and Greta was sailing there. So she was sailing halfway there. And um, got the message. She had to turn around and go back to Europe. Um, so I, I did see her there, um, but she was a bit late. Um, but I and I ended up going 
to Madrid, this is which is not the most economical route, via Santiago because I went to Patagonia because I booked to go hiking. Oh. And so then I ended up making a very emissions-intensive trip to the Climate Change Summit. Um, and, and so hold on, did you? was there civil unrest? There was, but it had been a lot worse leading up to the event. And I think... Um, do you, were you I nervous? Know, do you remember? There, there was like there were lighting that they've been like lighting all like the metro stations on fire and things like that um but uh i was only there for a couple of days and i went down flew down to patagonia um but um it was a much quieter when i was there but there was just like lots of fires on the sides of the road and there was graffiti everywhere and lots of things broken um but and what were they going crazy about uh inequality so well actually it had started because the government was going to increase the fare of the metro by just a small amount, which they said wasn't much, but will help. And then people were saying, for us, this is a lot. Yeah. And this is really impacting our lives. And then it turned into a kind of a couple months of really big civil unrest. And then as this summit was, you know, planning to be held there, I think that fueled them to keep going because they knew that they had the eyes of the world on them with this summit coming up. And then the the president pulled the pin and madrid said they'll hold it and so like last minute like it was three weeks out and the entire thing yeah got it's moved huge to madrid. it's big yeah and then i remember only a few months later seeing the hall in madrid where we'd had the events was turned into a makeshift COVID hospital i'm just gonna move my leg and it's gonna make a fart sound yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay leg movement i saw that yeah, yeah. <laughs> i can confirm that was the leg on the yeah. leather chair so and how was madrid was it fun it was fun and it was it was a very interesting experience um i was yeah i sort of had uh, it was yeah it was a very interesting experience um seeing you know all the world leaders come together to try and solve things and it you know you can see how trying to make change on a global level is extremely difficult um the main discussion was Article 6 of the Paris Agreement. So the Paris Agreement was established in 2015 and it was aimed to keep uh, global temperature rise since pre-industrial times below 2 degrees but limited ideally to 1.5 degrees, um, which in 2019 Australia's average temperature was 1.52 degrees above the normal average so australia is really kicking it off but um australia at cop was one of like at the end of cop australia was recognized we got awarded the fossil like the fossil award which is just essentially saying we're an archaic government oh wow and angus taylor went in trying to get or maintain that we should be able to count credits from the kyoto protocol so credits that carbon credits or carbon reductions that we had under the Kyoto Protocol, he wanted to claim them for the Paris Agreement. So essentially saying, oh, last time we made an agreement, Australia reduced this many emissions. We want to include them in this one too. And the rest of the world is saying, okay, dire situations, this new agreement, this is what we're going to do. And Australia's saying, no. I want to, I, I want to use these emissions, these, these carryover like a credits. Fucking school kid. And dug their heels in, and 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 we'll like one of the big like holdups, essentially a progress at COP. 
So we're just pretty much in the only other countries that aligned with us was the US at the time because it was Trump and like Saudi Arabia. So we're just recognized oh my God, as... How embarrassing. Yeah, and they said it like... I was reading something recently and it was saying how it was just like diplomatically... No, it was a no diplomacy. <laughs> it was a very negative impact on diplomacy that what Australia did. Like you know, we're just not being like team players. We're just, no, just, yeah, just, I get it because I mean, yeah, I mean, like we could really we have jumped down a rabbit hole here, but it's yeah, like mm. <laughs> it's mm. sad because I feel like we're painted ourselves into a corner. Mm. And while there's people of old school thinking mm. still running the country, and I'm always slam, slamming baby boomers, and mm. the unfortunate thing is, is like I love them too because mm. it's our parents. Mm. But um, while these fucksticks mm. are still running the country with that old mentality, like what well, I don't understand this: mm. why there's so many progressive young people who mm. are fucking smart, but they're not really. Places mm. of position yet globally, like they're all old. Yeah, I, I mean, in a, a mutiny. Yeah. in Australia, I think we're extremely disenfranchised by politics, and we're so used to seeing people that are crap that you know we go to vote and we think, well, I, you know, we pick the least crap person you know we're not like yeah i really want i believe this, in this guy, guy to yeah, lead yeah, our country yeah, you know yeah. we're just like yeah they'll do yeah you know so like the the zali steggles the damien coles like they're awesome what they're bringing about um because going in and saying this is what we need to happen and we're going to push for it at the because that's what we want as opposed to politicians that are career politicians and all they're looking to do is secure their next term you know you can understand people want job continuity they want to have a job but so they're willing to trade all these things and I mean I've never been in politics I can only under you know imagine what it's like you've got to make deals and you've got to water down things to get things across the line but at the same time some people need to go in a bit more guns blazing and go look I'm only in here for a term I'm going to make the change I can and hold my ground. Um, but do you like yeah. the friendly Geordies? I don't know who they are. I'm going to write this down and show there's you. There's so many things to look up. <laughs> um, so many things to learn. Okay, I'm going to uh, last one. Uh, do you think you will go into politics? I I don't know. I I think uh, I don't know any. I don't know what I what I'm going to do. Just going to live in today. Going to live in today. Yeah, man. Um, <laughs> One thing, so yeah, look, doing my thesis, I definitely learned a lot about... So you've just finished your thesis. I've just finished my thesis, which was looking at... Comparing essentially the COVID experience to climate change in Australia and looking at how um, we got, you know, we fostered lots of policy change and we're pretty, pretty... We're world leaders in our response to COVID, you know. We enacted policy quickly, we made changes and you know as a result um australians have an extremely small proportion of people that have died to to the to the world average meanwhile with climate change we uh as we've just discussed for the last however long (laughs) we have got nowhere fast and um so i did sort of a media analysis looking at well how is it presented in the media 
um, a climate event. I looked at the Black Summer bushfires compared to COVID-19 um, and sort of what differences are there um, and how science is accepted. And it came across that climate science is discussed a lot more in the media. They use more experts. However, there's also a lot of non-accepting sort of narratives, so a lot of politicisation, a lot of climate debate. You can see how people get... Spin. Yeah, exactly. You know, if if you're continually hearing multiple sides to it, people go, oh, I don't know what to believe anymore. It's Mm, all too mm, much. Oh, I'm so mm. sick of hearing that phrase global warming, and they just block it out. Mm. Whereas with COVID and with medical science, they didn't use as much actual science and there was high levels of acceptance. So people are just willing to accept medical information a lot more readily. It's very sort of intrinsic, um, something like a disease in how it affects you. Um, and so yeah, essentially with, with medical science or health issues, you can get a lot more action with a lot less sort of scientific fact. Um, but in doing that thesis, I spent a lot of time looking into into you know the Australian political system and what's happened and you know I think it's something I I think I've got a thick enough skin that I could you know give it a go and um you know I could draw on that acting experience Hmm. Um, (laughs) but it's definitely something I'm open to um but I think I need I'd like to kind of keep going for a bit more and get a bit more life experience and um figure out you know, see if I can do have some of that positive change that I want to have at BP. I keep, you know, bringing in this narrative of of what I believe and what I study and the passion I have. Because I mean, yes, like BP is on, you know, is changing its its path, but at the same time, I want it to happen quick, and I want it to, I, you know, I yeah, yeah. I want to make sure that there's that pace is there because. Yeah, I don't want it to be greenwashing. I don't want it to just be words. I want it to be action. And I want to keep making sure that the voices or the the, the ideas are in the room, not just uh, that's a nice to have BPs that said the right thing, great. I want to make sure that that accountability is there. And I feel fortunate now that given the company's made that global declaration, I can make sure I can, I've got something to sort of stand behind and say, well, you know, this the CEO is our, this says is, this. Exactly. This is our global strategy. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it, it, this is the right way. It's not the wrong way anymore. And, you know, it's just Morgan spinning her, her, her green ideologies. It's actually, you know, the way the company's going. It's the way the world's going. It's the way most of the world is going except the, our Australian government. So, yeah. Um, well, if you didn't have a CEO the way that you do now, mm. I'd say you'd probably be spinning your wheels. But the fact that he's... Mm sounds good and so mm. i hope that you can have the effect mm. and marry the worlds of passion that you want with purpose yeah mm. yes me too but just i'm just going to go back real quick you, you when we talked about spin mm. and people's like capacity to deal with information now because there is so much on every mm. single level mm. like i'm a really visual person mm. and instagram's kind of killed it for me like I look at so many beautiful photos, but because I look at them so much for one second, I can't distinguish what's good and bad mm. anymore. And I get it, think, you know, it's just like it, I feel mm. like I'm saturated with information. Mm-hmm. So I'm really selective at the moment mm. about what where my energy goes. Mm-hmm. 
because it's and i feel like that's everyone right everyone's got so much choice Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's just i think being selective is a good approach and i definitely i remember during the black summer bushfires having to stop looking at the news because i found it quite overwhelming and felt extremely powerless with what i was seeing like those fires that happened end of 2019 start of 2020 just before covid yeah were Mm. just insane like and were you down here uh i was in melbourne and because it was like a it felt like a nuclear fallout summer like there was those gray days that were just odd Mm -hmm. and it really was like spooky Mm. and then starting to see China pop off. Mm. It was like, what the fuck is going on? It was real on? end of the world shit. I remember like looking out the window in the city. I, you couldn't see other buildings. It was, it was very end of the world. Um, what was I going? Uh, saturation. Saturation. Yeah. So you, yeah, having to be selective, um, I think it's really important during COVID like it was like two thirds of Australians were seeking news media at more than once a day to get information mm. on COVID-19 to like placate their fear and their anxiety. But I imagine it was only increasing their fear and anxiety, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, and what actually prompted me to write the thesis that I wrote was that in the beginning of COVID, I was it, like, my friends were so obsessed with COVID and they knew everything about it and it's just it's observational it's not negative but that people were just they knew the facts they knew the deaths they knew the how long it could stay alive on your phone exactly on a vegetable yeah yeah. and i've been thinking wow like i've been you know learning everything i can about climate science and climate change and how we can make people motivated and then covid's come along and it's just everyone's like how could like have you heard about covid and it's like, and so for me, I like put a line in my thesis that was like, climate climate scientists wish they could have the public like COVID 19s publicist because like, just the attention and ability for people to act and want to learn and that's what got me to go. Well, how can we do that? Like, how can why isn't that transferable to climate science? Um, but I think, yeah, we've also got to pick our battles with expo- like you know saturating ourselves with too much information well, you, you and just have to watch the, the latest david attenborough documentary mm. did you see that one yeah. where he put the statistic of natural earth to mm. unnatural earth each 10 years or whatever it was that fucked me up yeah mm. and a lot of people like i know a lot of people that watch that and then would say come up and talk to me about it or a lot of people will learn they'll read something they'll learn a statistic and they'll come up and talk to me about it like someone at work came up to me the other day and said that um the average australian produces or consumes 59 kilos of single-use plastic in a year um so from like takeaways from coffees or from whatever it is and like that's a that's a few more kilos than me in plastic and plastic's very light obviously um so people do like these things, but it's like transferring that into action, you know, watching the David Attenborough documentary and then trying to figure out like how they can do something about it. You know, with COVID, you can wash your hands, you can stay home, you can wear a mask. With climate change, you know, you individually reducing your carbon footprint, you don't feel that then, you don't know, you don't get the feedback that that is going to 
reduce Australia's emissions. You know, you not travelling, and then your then your mates still travel. You think, well, well, you're not looking at the ice caps melting. Exactly, you can't um, see it. Yeah, and again, this goes back to like you know what what's communicated to, to us in the media mm. and the extensive politicisation that exists within Australia <laughs> due to our government, and we're completely bombarded or not bombarded, but we're getting confusing facts and information um so you know you can think i want to do something productive and i want you know i've watched david attenborough's documentary and oh you know what impact can i have but then you hearing confusing facts about whether climate change actually did exacerbate the bushfires or you know it was you know the greens wouldn't let us do back burning and then oh you know and it's like well well they couldn't do back burning because the conditions weren't right and you know it's just and it just becomes this political shit show of people just yelling crap at each other and instead of solving the problems we're just so yeah we're we're not unified no we're so far from that it used to exist decades ago there was bipartisan support and you know csiro would be in the newspapers speaking about you know the impacts of using fossil fuels and and what you know increased greenhouse gas emissions are going to do to our environment that was that existed and then it just got twisted and these last two decades it's just it has just become a, a mess and the detriment is seen in australia's disinterest in it little theory yeah <laughs> <laughs> i've been watching a lot of movies lately the shot in the late 80s early 90s mm. no one's got a mobile phone right mm. so everyone in a, in a film, in a you know the the, the story, mm. the fancy word for story narrative, mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, is is people are thru- thrust into these like uh, circumstances yeah. together, and they've got to figure it out mm. together, right? So they're together until mm. the circumstance deems that they're not together anymore, mm. and then they're with the next people that they're with. Mm. Uh, but now, right? Everyone's on their phone. Mm. And even if we're thrust into this circumstance where we've mm. got to figure something out, you've got a whole world going on in your phone. Yeah. I've got a whole world going on in my phone. We're not together mm-hmm. anymore. We're sort of disconnected. And I just, I just noticed in those films how people were so like, I haven't seen you for a while. Tell me what's been happening. Tell me everything. Tell me everything. Yeah. Because they ha- haven't seen you for so long. But now I feel like we sort of know just enough about what's happening yeah. with other people through social media and da 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 that when we see them or we've been texting them all the way till they're at our fucking door, yeah. that it's like, hey, what's up? Yeah, no, no, fuck up. You know, it's good to see. But it's not like I that yeah. I haven't seen you. And that's a big difference. I, I've noticed that, I, I guess, in recently, so the last two months I've just been off Instagram because I've just been cutting out all distractions to focus on study and work. And I would notice people knew other things about each other like that sort of thing. Like people would come over and be like, oh, I saw, you know, so-and-so. Like my friend got like a lamb at her house and someone's like, oh, yeah, I saw, you know, she got a lamb. And I was like what like, how do you know like, what are you, like oh it's like so i saw it on instagram and i'm like oh like i feel like i'm like almost missing out on this part of my friend's lives because everyone else is getting that inside but because i haven't been on it but then at the same time it's I've, it kind of made me go oh god that's so much like it's this yeah 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 like it yeah I, you, that yeah i mean you can't beat the human connection side of it but you realize that people live so or put so much of their life yeah, the life can, can kind of be directed to be presented on the media, or presented on social media, as opposed to like lived in the now. 
So anyway, just my point with the long bow around all that yeah. was that if you've seen a difference in deunification or we're not unified anymore mm. to everyone's a little bit like, look, I don't fucking know, but I, I love to blame the phone mm. and the, 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 the like... I, I don't know like ever, anything that takes us away from community mm. like we we can do everything with this thing I don't need you anymore mm. it gives me information I don't need to talk to you anymore it's mm. all, like so often someone goes you say something they go well I'll just google it yeah well sure okay that's not a conversation really but like yeah. if you want to just google it google mm. it it is a fun game to play sometimes, which is like funny. It's a fun game. But, you know, when you're talking about something, like, do you know that guy from that movie? And everyone's trying to think of it. And you yeah. just go, no one, don't look. don't look. And then like an hour later, someone's just like, oh, it just comes, comes to you like a lightning bolt. But yeah, it, we are, it is, uh, I don't know how you untwist from this one too either, but no. it is, we're so, we are so, yeah, I maybe it goes back to that, that, <laughs> no, um, that, <laughs> of that. Yeah. but the addiction to convenience of, knowledge too we're addicted to the convenience of everything but yeah the phones really elevate that and I, yeah i think as far as impacting connectivity with other people is a big a big thing that does impact like ha- having time with people i think there's like a resurgence of people enjoying going camping and doing things that are like you know mm. old school things like camping and you know not watching tv you know um because we are so 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 connected um Mm. Morgan, mm. I want to say thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Do you think we can go anywhere else, or are we just? Can... I think we've just solved all the world's yeah, problems. Actually, right. if I'm honest, we should. I'll go into politics with you. Yeah. So yeah. now, do you, was it? You want me to end on a quick musical note, or was it an interpretive yeah. dance, or where did we want it? Um, <laughs> did you see the musical with the 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 Muppets? The Muppets movie? I don't know. And there was a musical. Oh, oh. Is it um, called ABC? No, um, C Street or. Yeah, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. That was one that I loved. And what yeah. about the other? No, I was going to say this at the start. Musicals was that was, I'm a big musical mm. guy, but I did love that one. And the one, um, Book of Mormon. Book of Mormon. Yeah, that's oh my great. Oh God. Mm, that song. I always like that song like, hello. And then the doorbell. I love it. Yeah. That one is great. So mm. good. Mm. Anyway, awesome. Morgan, love it. Thank you so much for Thank coming in. Thank you so in. much for having me. I loved it. Awesome. <laughs> Well, there you have it. There was my chat with none other than Morgan Rosada. Now, um, whoever you are out there, um, Morgan, if you've listened, thank you so much for coming over. Had a great time talking to you um, and keep fighting the good fight. Uh, Whoever else is out there listening in the world, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, really appreciate um, you lending your ears. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I won't wrap it on. Go and get amongst it. Um, and if you've got something, you know, driving at your heart that you're not, you know, those those reoccurring thoughts that you're not looking at, I dare you to have a look at them. Whatever the fuck that might be. <laughs> Until next time, adios. Adios.